So this makes no sense to me that this is the way we run a system. I was a taxpayer for almost 45 years of my life. I, I have the stroke. Now I'm not a taxpayer anymore. I'm disabled. And I do what I do because a lot of my story, I don't want to happen to other people, mm. but I see it happening everywhere. So this is why I fight the way I do and why I'm so passionate about this, because this is our lives we're talking about. This is not some conversation in the in the Internet or whatever. This okay. is a real life on the ground reality that so many of us are dealing with, no matter how hard we mm. fought our lives to do the right thing. We're not being allowed to live. And that's just not acceptable because every constitution of every state in the United States basically says that we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that that includes people having a place to live, health care, enough food to feed their kids. You're listening to Indigo Radio. Um, this is WVBWLP Brattleboro, 107.7 FM, your community radio station um, that's also streaming live online at www.wvew.org. This is Indigo Radio, deepening understanding, making connections on the air every Sunday at noon. We are a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. You can also find us on Facebook at Indigo Radio, also Instagram, and Twitter. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and guests, not the radio station. My name is Nina Kunimoto, and I am an educator in the Spark Teacher Education Program. Also in the studio today is Patrice Streifert, who is a Women and Gender Studies professor at Keene State College. And today, we are going to air an interview that both Patrice and I did with um, three women, Ellen Schwartz, Sheila Adams, and Grace Benison of the Vermont Worker Center. And you just heard an excerpt of the, of the interview that was Grace Benison um, sort of describing her experience in the Vermont, and I suppose a non-existent national healthcare system. Um, and also why why she is in the Vermont Worker Center and um, and what she's fighting for. We work with the teacher education program and the radio show is one of the things that that we do um, to really try to raise awareness about things that are going on in the community and in the world. Um, at, we're teachers, but we're also activists. And so we wanted to talk, we wanted to hear more about the Vermont Worker Center. I, Sheila shared with me the the uh, the flyer and the work that you were doing um, to do uh, some surveying, but mm -hmm. wanted to hear what what the Vermont Worker Center is all about. I, I read the history, went on the website, and did that. But what from from your vantage point, what is it about? What 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 are y'all up to these days? Um, so, do you want us to talk about now, or do you want us to talk about history? Like, what wh where do you want us to start? Start with some history, where how it started, what you, and then it morph into now. Okay, I can talk a little bit about the history. Um, so we are celebrating our twenty fifth anniversary this year. Woohoo! 
Yeah. Um, we are a statewide organization and we're a member run organization. We're made up of ordinary people from around the state. Um, we're organizing for economic and social justice. And um, we do have a very small staff, but actually most of our organizing work and also our strategizing and our thinking and political education is all done by our members. And um, I can say a little more about the history, but like Sheila's a, of, of the three of us, the newest member. And it would be awesome if you wanted to just say a little bit before I go into more history, just about like your own experience with it as a fairly new person in the Worker Center. Sure. Um, so I became involved July 2021, right around the same time that I left the food co-op after um, all of a sudden being an essential worker by like, I took that job because it was easy. And then all of a sudden I was an essential worker. So I had made a commitment to work through um, the contract negotiations, which were stalled and then happened eventually. But so I did that. And then I, I needed a break from there. And I was so sad to leave the union. And I <laughs> got, you know, at the same time was Ellen picked up on it, I guess. And she um, sent me an invitation to a new member orientation. And so I became involved then. Um, so what I really loved about it coming from a sort of haphazard thrown in, you know, trial by fire into being a union steward um, at the co-op, um, just to come into this organization, which was established and meeting with people from all over the state and um, seeing that, oh, this is pretty deep and then learning more about um, the passage of Act 48, which we'll talk about later a little bit. And, you know, just the opportunities to learn um, in terms of being around people who are thinking about things that that I also felt were important, but having a plan and a strategy and a way to actually take an act to respond to you know, sometimes feel you're feeling helpless. So, um, so yeah, that's been great. And particularly, I have to say the political education that I've been exposed to, um, often with people from all over the country, you know, in sister organizations, or, you know, allied organizations, mm -hmm. I'll say, um, has been so valuable to see that because it gives you the perspective. It's like, oh, these are not just our issues. There's actually people all over the place fight, fighting for the same things. So that's been wonderful. And Could you? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to ask, you know, and, and this is a question to everyone. I'm actually quite curious about the political education. Um, I wondered if you could tell us a bit more, like, like what, what do you, what does that entail? And, and yeah. <clears throat> Well, we have we have political education that includes political economy, and I just want to add into one of the really important points about the Vermont Worker Center. We are not aligned with any political party or are completely nonpartisan in every way. We're independent politically because 
from the lessons that we that we learn as as we're doing these explorations with other people we find that aligning with party politics is destructive to any movement and that has a lot to do with it but also we talk about overall history in america and really around the world about people getting together to try to fight injustice and poverty and all the other things that we're concerned with. And that's a big part of it because not only are you well grounded in the discussions about that, you also are inspired by what other people have done and what people are trying to do all over the world. One of the things that we do when we have our local meetings is every meeting we do something called a mystica and it's kind of hard to explain if you don't know anything about it, but it's from the landless workers of, of South America. And it's kind of, the only way I can kind of describe it to most people is that it's kind of like the pre-game Super Bowl show in a way, because mm -hmm. it's, it's how people get inspired and thinking about what we're working on and how like if it's a song or a poem or it's just some artwork or something like that from people who are struggling it keeps you in mind of why you're doing what you're doing and it reaches into your soul and it's definitely something that all successful movements have done in their own way and that's a really important part of you know the political history that we learn is what inspired and motivated other people and how they came together and how they came apart too because we know many originally successful movements have have fallen apart or been destroyed over time for a number of reasons so we need to know that too and another thing we talk about is disorganizing behavior because <laughs> essentially organizing is the name of the game for all of us and people exhibit a, a disorganizing behavior sometimes. They're not realizing what they're doing, but what they are doing is breaking down the esprit de corps of our, of our work. And that's of course essential to anything. Wow, thank you but so much. Add to that. Yeah, power to the people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's great. That, yeah. Yeah, I just want to jump in also on the political education question. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like Sheila and Grace sort of covered like the heart of it. But um, just to say, like to give you a few examples. Well, first of all, like we have something called Solidarity School, and we really encourage anybody who's getting involved to go to Solidarity School. That's sort of like our entry level political education. And it's um, in person. It meets for a weekend. Or when it's online, it's like usually like six two-hour sessions. Um, and then we do these other studies. And as Sheila was saying, some of them are worker-centered studies and some of them are run by our these partner organizations. But they all often involve people. Like if we're running a study, there might be people coming from Pennsylvania, Wyoming, Alabama, from some of these other states. And so just examples, to give you some examples of like some of the things we've looked at, I think... Um, somebody, either Sheila or Grace, mentioned political economy. So we've looked at that Vermont political economy, the political economy of healthcare. Um, but we've also looked at other historic movements like the movement to end slavery. And what can we learn from that movement that 
would help us think about like the, the organizing we're doing now or the we, we did a long study some of us were involved in a long study about um we du bois's book black reconstruction in america um and so we've done that kind of sort of in-depth studies and then we do like each of our meetings in addition to the mystica that um grace was talking about we have an educational short and that's usually about 20 minutes of some piece of education that is relevant to what we're doing and it might be like medicaid 101 for example um because because of the medicaid cutoffs but sometimes it's like something from history like looking at the young lords and the organizing they did and like what are the implications of that for now so they it can really be it's sort of in response to the needs that what we need to learn about and a lot of this orientation to political education really comes from feeling like a lot of us have been denied that education we're told like there's experts out there and we just should be relying on them to be making all the policy decisions and knowing that like we need to like arm ourselves with information and that we as ordinary people we have the capacity to think we have the capacity to understand how the world works because it's it's working on our backs. Like we know about how this system is working. We're being hurt by it. And, and that we are not, can't count on the powers that be to give us the education we need, that we actually need to develop it for ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, and then we also have like bi-monthly something called pull togethers, which are often open to the public. So we should make sure y'all know about them. Yeah. That's usually like some topic and it's an hour and a half on Zoom looking at, you know, it might be like a film and a discussion or a panel and discuss some, and it's usually a specific topic. So those are like- Did you say bi-monthly? Every other month, yeah. Every other oh, month. Okay. Um, I don't know, is that bi Pull togethers? They're called pull, pull, pull stands pull for- My Southern accent's probably coming through, right? No, <laughs> pull is, um, stands for the People's University for Liberation and Learning, which is our- Oh, got it. That's and so pull together is, yeah, uh -huh. that's got it. Got it. And we don't have any on the calendar now, but we'll let you know when the next one is going to be. Um, and so, and like we, you know, for example, there was one about disability rights and, you know, there's all different, depends on what's happening that, that mm -hmm. month. Um, and we have a political ed committee that sort of plans all of that, which none of us are on actually. <laughs> And, and I'm just kind of curious, um, like, how big is the the Vermont Worker Center? And and are you, do you, like, do you, for example, the pull-togethers and, and the solidarity schools, like, do you find that there are more and more people coming in? Or, or what's your approach to really draw people in? Hmm. Well, I, I want to answer this in a second. I want to say that a big part of Vermont Worker Center and our other partner organizations is the idea of building relationships with people. It's not like we're just going around recruiting people for the next march. We're building relationships with our community and creating a different kind of system than what we're living in now. And it's much more personal. So talking about different things that are happening to you in your life. If you're homeless, if you don't have health insurance or you have other issues or whatever, primarily our cause is healthcare is a human right because 
healthcare is at the basis of all of our lives. Without it, you know, we really can't survive very long. And people will come to us and we'll talk about what we're working on and what their concerns are. So we're creating a relationship. It's a two-way street. You're building leadership basically because for the most part, people in our communities feel completely powerless and that they have no say over what's going on and what's being done to them. They don't even have any say over the food they're eating or the places they're living anymore. So people feeling powerless, when we talk to those people, it, uh, it's my feeling, and this is the way I felt about it is, now I have a community of people and they know what's going on with me and I know what's going on with them. And we've joined together to fight the battle of a lifetime to survive in this country and in this economy and to build things forward into the kind of place we wanna be in. I just have to say, you are all so inspiring. This is great. This is really nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry, did, did you? Well, I, you were talking about Medicaid earlier and the, mm -hmm. the lessons. You're, you're, you're looking at these historical ways of learning. And um, are there some, some nuggets that have come out for you as you've been doing this work to understand what's happening with what is called, I think, um, the, the redetermination for yep. Medicaid? And three thousand workers. Yeah, I can. I can. So I. I didn't hear everything you were saying, but you wanted to, us to explain about what's happening with the redeterminations, right? And if there were some connections between the studying the work that you've been doing, those yeah. nuggets that you're trying. Yeah. You know, when you look back in history and seeing what worked, what didn't work, what helped people come together, mm -hmm. and what helped people fall apart, and yeah, as well. There's actually a connection with some pretty recent history in Vermont that we were part of, which is that um, we we actually started the campaign for healthcare as a human right in two in the recession of two thousand and eighteen, uh, two thousand and eight. I'm sorry, and um, and over the course of like three years of organizing, we ended up getting a law passed called Act 48 that was supposed to be setting Vermont on a course to having a publicly financed universal health care system. Well, not surprisingly, um, once that law was passed, the opposition went into mm -hmm. full force of both bringing in money, some from within Vermont, some from outside Vermont, to make sure that this was not going to happen and to influence power holders, including the then governor who would actually run on this, to influence them to actually not follow through with it. Um, one of the problems with the law is that it didn't have a financing mechanism. It was, it was a weakness of the law. It, cer it certainly called for you know, it had the human rights principles, it had some really strong language, but it didn't have a financing mechanism. And that was sort of the Achilles heel. Um, and so the governor in 2014 announced his financing plan, which he was required to do by the law, and then said, but now is not the right time, as though sort of cold comfort for anybody who doesn't have health care, like when it's always the right time. But anyhow, that basically gave the power holders in Vermont, like elected officials, mm. permission to look the other way. And also because some of, you know, the the opposition had made it really hard for some of those people politically. And it's really sort of made them very nervous about um, supporting universal health care. And that persists to this day, that we're, we're mm. up against that to this day. Um, 
but um, I just want to finish my sentence and then I'm going to let you jump in, Sheila. Just what I was going to say is a connection to to what we're going through now is that if Act 48 had been funded, we wouldn't be in this fight right now because Green Mountain yeah. Care would have been health care for everybody and we wouldn't even be talking about Medicaid redeterminations. Just that was yeah. how I just wanted to finish yeah. up. But I see she Sheila wanted to jump in and Grace probably has some things to say about this too. <laughs> sure. Um, oh, welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on WVEW LP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. Um, and who who are we listening to just now, Patrice? We are listening to the Vermont Workers Center, and we're listening to three folks from um, from the center: Ellen Schwartz, Sheila Adams, and Grace Benenson. Yes, so we just um, heard part of the interview um, with them, and here, you know, these are some things that really stood out to me um, when uh, when they were talking about the um, political about the aspect of political, and that they're not affiliated with any sort of political parties, Republican or Democratic. Um, I, it reminded me that a conversation I had with someone who said that, you know, most people when, when the word political comes up, they think about, you know, sort of electoral politics, but actually political has to do with the power analysis of our society. And so, uh, you know, I appreciated that she, um, that she kind of broke that down a bit, but yeah, I mean, something being political or politicized isn't about electoral politics, but, you know, having under having an understanding of the power relationships within our society. Yeah. And, and the, then she also mentioned the political economy mm -hmm. of, I mean, I, I, that not only the importance of the nonpartisan and, and not affiliating with party politics, but we don't, we don't, we don't often look at the political economy of healthcare. Yeah, you know, as as it relates to that building solidarity that she talked about, that struck me as well. That you're looking at building uh, relationships and leadership in, in solidarity. Yeah, I like that. That she she said that as well. That she wanted to emphasize that they're out building relationships. They're going. I mean, I just imagine you know going onto the streets and having conversations and chatting people up and you know sort of building that relationship so that you're building the, the people power um, to be able to make these changes. And I'm listening to, um, I, I want to, I, I really was struck by what Ellen said that, you know, in, in terms of like the education and the political education, right, mm -hmm. that she said that the system is working on our backs, on all our backs. Um, and so, you know, that we should know, right, that we should, actually be educated about the mm -hmm. functioning mm -hmm. of this system that doesn't serve any of us and when i say us i mean just ordinary people right, right. working people um and that we have the we have the capacity to understand and to make our decisions and to be in solidarity with each other and to absolutely that 
And I'm currently listening to this book by Heather McGee called The Sum of Us. And I'm listening to it because some of my colleagues are, are have read it. And so I just mm. wanted to know what they read. And it's just so interesting, like, how poor white communities will will think against their own interests, mm. you know? And, and that, that's where, like, the race aspect comes into it. But... But thinking, you know, that the political economy, like there's a divide in rule here and it's it's part of it is like not knowing not knowing that history. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of good people that that talk about that. And so that's what I thought of, um, you know, when, when she was talking about all of this. Mm. And Grace was saying that sense of powerlessness that comes with that. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And when we really have the ability and knowledge to study, to learn, to be in solidarity, and what we give that up, do or we don't understand the political economy of something like healthcare, which Grace, as her experience, you know, after pay, you know, being a healthcare, being you know sick, and then not being able to, yeah, it's a very powerful thing she says. And um, later on, she actually talks about like really having these conversations with, for example, Trump supporters and really educating mm -hmm. them um, about, you know, sort of these, what's against their interests. Um, and she, so, yeah, yeah, I found that pretty powerful. Very powerful. Um, so, yeah, I think that their work is really important, being out on the street, educating people, because um, that's what we need. We need more people on the people's side. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm going to play a, um, an underwriter, and then we'll go right back into the interview. Today's programming on WVEW is underwritten in part by in-kind support from the Winston Prouty Center for Child and Family Development. The Winston Prouty Center provides inclusive education and family support to promote the success of children and families. The center is comprised of the Early Learning Center for children ages six weeks through age five and community-based services, which includes children's integrated services, family support housing, and child care support services. The Winston Prouty Center is located at 209 Austin Drive in Brattleboro. Further information is at their website, winstonprouty.org. WBEW thanks the Winston Prouty Center for their support of community radio. This is more of a question. This is how we learn. Um, Ellen, the funding plan the governor put forward was not the one that 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 was done by the Vermont Worker Center as a proposal. The the funding, and we can send you the link maybe to the funding proposal, which was updated in 2020, I believe. Mm. Um, um, basically require, you know, it's a progressive tax. So wealthier people would pay more. Mm -hmm. Big big corporation you know people who made a lot of money would pay more but it would mean more money in the pockets of like 90 percent of vermonters like 96 percent of vermonters would have had an income increase if if that went through mm. so 
so we're trying to also to break down the narrative of the, uh, oh no we can't afford that you know right right that, that was in 2014 was... so was that Shumlin? Shumlin? yes it was Shumlin in December of 2014 in December um just to just on the this is a little wonky so you, I'll say it and you can take it out or whatever, but just to be clear about this. So they actually contracted with some economist from MIT to do the, make the finance, they being the government. And what Sheila and Grace were talking about, I think the number is actually 93%, the mm -hmm. exact number. So there's an appendix in there and it basically looks at different income brackets and how much you would be either paying on average, obviously not by individual, you would be paying more or less than what you were currently paying for healthcare when you look at things like premiums and deductibles and um, mm -hmm. uncovered care, like all the all the payment that people are, it's like people are this people are paying now for healthcare. We're paying massive amounts of money for healthcare. And so it's looking at comparing that to what people would be paying in taxes. And what that appendix showed was that the bottom 93% would actually come out ahead. In other words, would be paying less in taxes oh, yeah. than they're currently paying for healthcare. And the top and seven- Healthcare. And yes, and we would all have healthcare, whether you're in the bottom 93% or the top 7%. The top 7% would be paying more in taxes than they were currently on average paying under the non-tax system, the, the private system that we have now. When Where we heard this kind of discussion before about raising taxes on the upper income levels of the country. I think we probably heard that recently in the news. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely an uphill battle, you know, um, just based on how the how politics are are arranged, I suppose in this country. But um, yeah, that's we're great. experienced at repelling, and we're going to climb that mountain. <laughs> I know. Well, the more the more people, at the, top. the more people we can shift, right? Yep. <laughs> to back mm -hmm. it. Um, yeah. You, you, well, that and that feeling you talked about—the feeling of powerlessness. You know, that, that comes up all the time. I mean, in my classrooms, you know, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? So I think the idea of collective struggle is, while it's not new, building relationships, as Grace was talking about earlier, and how to do that is new for people, I think. And, and I think and, since uh, the, in the younger generation, anyway. It's right. more shocking to people because we were all closed off for a couple of years and not reaching out to any mm -hmm. new people. And the funny thing about it is that that kind of made a lot of us realize how important human contact was. And in a way that's been a benefit to us organizing the last year or so, because people are excited to talk about this stuff with us and excited to join and have interest in what's going on in the world and maybe have a say in something like they never had felt like they had before. And to mm -hmm. me, this is like the biggest and best incentive for us to keep going on with what we're doing because I know the people that I talk to are hungry for this and this is what people want. 
Mm. Grace, are you in the Southern Vermont area along with, with Sheila and Ellen? Yeah, I live in Brattleboro too. Oh, gotcha, okay. <laughs> We're homies. Gotcha, gotcha. All of us are here. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's great. It's great to hear that, you know, that there's an interest in, in people wanting to engage in these, in the conversation and knowing more. Um, Tell us about the Medicaid. I know you did some surveys. You did some surveys in the libraries. How is that going? What is it that you need support for? What are the things that you think are going to be doable in your, in your struggle, um, in our struggle? For, for Medicaid? So I can say a little bit about what we're doing at the okay. library. Grace and Sheila should jump in. Um, they've both been at the library. So basically what we're doing at the library is um, we're at the Brooks Library every other Wednesday for um, from two to four. And um, we have we have four more of those dates um, on the calendar with, with the library that March oh, 8th. March, March 8th, March 22nd, April 5th, and April 19th are okay. going to be there. And we um, invite people to come who have any questions about the Medicaid cutoffs or other areas of healthcare. So there are people who come who are like, they think they may be facing a cutoff and they just need, you know, they want information about like, how do I know if I'm going to be cut off? What should I do? do about it? What are my options going to be? And then there are people who've come who have other questions, like my pharmaceutical costs suddenly are rising. I don't understand why, or I'm on Medicare. Um, you know, so people come with a variety of different questions and we um, get, we have some general information we can share with people and some resource sheets. And then we refer them to resources for questions that we can't answer because we're not a we're not a healthcare organization, right. as you can tell. But right. you know we're connected. We we know resources in in around the state, like the Healthcare Advocate, for example. So we can refer people for their questions that we're not able to answer. So that's one thing that we do. And then we have the survey there, and we invite people to do the survey. Um, we also started a photo and story project, and we invite people to participate in oh, that, and have their picture taken with a little quote about how they're affected by the system. Um, oh this God. is all, you know, like not everybody does all of those things. It depends on what the, you know, how much time the person has, what they, but we always invite them to do the survey. Um, and um, I could say more about the survey, but I want to give Sheila and Grace a chance to jump in about the the library hours if you wanted to say more about what, what else we're doing there. Sheila, it's up to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there was another survey that was done years and years ago. So what we're looking at with these um, surveys now is just to try to get some real data on the ground about um, issues that are facing people you know, as they're trying to access um, healthcare. I mean, there's not enough data now. We we have a goal of the number of surveys we want to, to have people fill out over the next year and a half um, so that we can have a real good data set of how, how things look on the ground. Mm -hmm. okay. They're up in Burlington, they'll also be at their library, and I don't have the dates for that, but, you know, so, 
throughout the state, people are reaching out in the community in different ways and talking to people about what we've been talking about here. And um, so we have our survey. I mean, just anecdotally, I can say that we've already learned that um, access to providers, like just finding providers is a huge problem. Dental mm -hmm, yeah. access to dental care is basically at sort of crisis proportions. And, um, you know, the list can go on. Transportation is another big one. Um, mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the people I know need to get over to Keene if they want to see a doctor. Um, so right. that becomes a problem if you don't have a car. Yeah, yeah. Well, this goes to the larger issues that we are tackling in addition to speaking to people on the ground, which is always the most critical thing. And that is that the money for healthcare is being funneled into some selected institutions like UVM. And while UVM is a wonderful hospital and you know it's not a personal criticism of them, but when you look at the financing of your local community health centers, dental practices, and things that people use every day of their life, I mean, if you have some kind of huge emergency, they'll send you to Dartmouth or to UVM. But if you just have a problem that you need to take care of before it turns into a crisis, your access to that kind of health care is not mm -hmm. good right now. And a lot of that has to do with how insurance providers have set up the system so that the money is funneled into the research hospitals or the big hospitals in any state in the union, not just Vermont. So as a country and as organized, we're, we're tackling that too, aside from just the whole financing system of healthcare, as we call it in this country. I think healthcare is a misnomer. It's yeah. not healthcare at all, it's money care. Yeah, that's a good way of thinking. It reminds me, um, Grace, it's it's what's happening here, what you just explained to you is the opposite of healthcare, healthcare in Cuba, where it's actually the opposite, where it's more of localized preventative. Um I'm so glad that you brought that up because <laughs> one of the things that I just wanted to say as a general comment is that in this country we say well, we can't afford to have universal health care. We can't afford to do this, that, and the other thing. But if we look around the world, there are plenty of examples of us to learn from, even countries that are very poor, like Cuba. Yeah. That they have a wonderful health care system in comparison to what we have here. And my personal story relates directly to this because in 2014, I had a stroke. And the reason why I had a stroke was because as a full-time working person, I couldn't afford to go to the doctor with a $5,000 insurance deductible. So I had undiagnosed diabetes for several years until finally I had the stroke and I had to be in the hospital for like eight weeks and lose my job and my house and everything else. And then we find out that the root cause of this was the diabetes that I didn't know I had because I couldn't afford to go to the doctor. So this makes no sense to me that this is the way we run a system. Mm -hmm. I was a taxpayer for 
almost 45 years of my life. I, I have the stroke. Now I'm not a taxpayer anymore. I'm disabled. And I do what I do because a lot of my story, I don't want to happen to other people, but I see it happening everywhere. So this is why I fight the way I do and why I'm so passionate about this, because this is our lives we're talking about. This is not some conversation in the in the internet or whatever. This is a real life on the ground reality that so many of us are dealing with, no matter how hard we fought our lives to do the right thing. We're not being allowed to live. And that's just not acceptable because every constitution of every state in the United States basically says that we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that that includes people having a place to live, health care, enough food to feed their kids. All of that is in those constitutions, including Vermont and the United States Constitution. But they've chosen to ignore those things. That's like a mandate from the founders of the United States that they gave us. They knew what was up and what was needed. And it's just been ignored. We have money for all kinds of military things. We have money for giving corporate welfare out. But when it comes to the people who are keeping this country afloat, we're told we can't afford it. I'll shut up now, honestly. No, that was so beautifully, so beautifully put, Grace. It was, that was beautiful. Thank you so much. Absolutely. To the point, and and what I think is so poignant of what you said is that it's not, as you said earlier, it's not just talking. You're not there just talking, but you're out acting um, out of this. It comes from the heart because not only do I know what's happened to me, but I know what's happening to the people around me, the people in my community, the people that I love, what, what's going on with them. And it just isn't tolerable anymore. So we all have to fight as hard as we can to stop this. Yeah. This is not what I signed up for. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's not on, and the money, as you said, but the, the idea that the emergency is over now, mm-hmm. that, that language to me was like, okay, so the health emergency is ending. So we're going to now have what we call this, you know, redetermination. Mm-hmm. So who comes up with that language? When I was a kid, it was called urban <laughs> renewal. What it really was, was urban removal. Right. Removing right. old mm-hmm. neighborhoods from a city. This is the same thing with mm-hmm. health care. It's like, who makes those policies? And of course, using a language to mystify it. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Now, you had a workers' hotline at some point. Do you we, still have a hotline or? No. no? Is there a way? Go ahead. Pardon? No, we go did ahead. have a workers' hotline at one point. Um, and we, um, yeah, we don't anymore. And um, I don't know, there's sort of a, I don't know how to explain that briefly, but um uh, we I'll just I think the short version of it is that we just didn't have the people power to actually uh-huh. n- not just maintain the hotline, but like a lot of the questions that people were would bring would either be um <coughs> occasionally there'd be a question that somebody would bring where we could actually refer them like it was something truly on 
illegal and we could refer them to a lawyer, but we don't have lawyers. Like they didn't sort mm. of us to do that in a way. Like, it's not like we could provide that service. And then very often the pro the problems people would bring were unjust, but legal. Like their boss was doing something that wasn't really fair and that's why they were calling, but the boss had the total right to do that because that's, you know, the way our system works, right? The boss mm -hmm. has a lot of rights mm -hmm. and the only solution would be for them to organize a union and we could connect them with unions if they wanted to get together with their coworkers and try to organize a union. And honestly, most people who were calling were just not in a position to do that for whatever reason. They, I mean, organizing a union is like a really big deal. I was part yeah. of it union organizing right. drive many years ago and you know and it's also really hard like if you work for a little company like a small you know there's just two or three workers and it's very you know there's lots of reasons why people don't organize unions and so it was like there wasn't anything that we directly could do to support people other than refer you know it so it just and, mm -hmm. and we just didn't have the capacity to keep it going I think mm -hmm. it was, mm -hmm. we had it going it went for many many years but um, yeah. Speaking of the union organizing, what about the hospital union that that happened that that organizing? Do you want to talk a little bit about that and how that relates to what the work that you're doing? Yeah. I mean, I, I would, know that we also had a I think radio it was this year, right? That Vermont's um, I think the minimum wage went up too, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I could say a little bit about the UVM organizing. Sure. That was a video clip that you shared. So that was. Um, oh, right. So those that group of people who organized that were referenced in that radio clip in the seven days article, they're the staff at UVM Medical Center. So they're not the nurses and doctors, but they're everybody else. And I think not the techs, the techs were already organized, but it was everybody else. So that was like okay. a broad array of people who work at a variety of different jobs, keeping the hospital going, everything from like the cleaning staff to making the food to some of the uncertified, you know, LNAs and whatever. That That's who was in that, that union drive. And um, they just won their union election they organized into um, AFT Vermont. That's what the point of that uh, yeah. CAX report was. And the main things that they're organizing around are um, getting a, a semi-livable wage for Burlington. Burlington's a very expensive city to live in compared to the rest of Vermont. So they're going for $20 an hour, um, which is barely livable in Burlington, right. um, and safe staffing levels, which is another huge issue affecting their ability to do their work. And it also affects the care people get when you're in a hospital setting, because if there aren't adequate, there isn't adequate staffing, you're, there's either not enough people to do the work, or there are people who are working very long shifts, like they're working mm. a lot of overtime, and they're really tired, because they're sort of making up for the staff that, that hasn't been hired. And so that's sort of the main thing they're, they're fighting for. And one of the ways it connects, I mean, it connects with, like, our campaign of healthcare is a human right. It's about patients, it's about all of our need to get healthcare, like what Grace was talking about. And it's also about the rights of people who work in healthcare to have dignified wages and dignified working conditions. And we don't really see those as separate. Mm -hmm. um, like they're all, they're all our rights and that everybody who needs medical care 
is affected by the working conditions of the people who are delivering the care. And those people, like all workers, not just like all workers, deserve dignified wages and dignified working conditions. Mm -hmm. um, specifically around UVM, um, they are, I think, if not, they are one of the biggest employers, if not the biggest employer in Vermont. And um, there was an um, article in the Digger, they did a, a study in 2019 about lobbying Well, um, in Vermont. And I could say a little more, or one of us could say a little more about the role of the healthcare industry in lobbying. But UVM Health Network, which is crying poor, like we can't pay these people $20 an hour, blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah. They have a um, billion dollars in reserves which makes Wall Street very happy, right? Like to know that they, you know, that's, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't help the, this was in that seven days article that was that was referenced there. Um, and they also, and they have executives who make six figures and they also spend a lot of money on lobbying in the state house. So they have like in the Digger article, which was from 2019, they had three of their own in-house lobbyists, plus they pay a lobbying firm, plus wow. an industry, what do you call it? One of those like industry associations. Mm -hmm. And they wouldn't be spending all that money on lobbying if they weren't getting something for it. Like they have yeah. a lot of influence over what happens mm -hmm. in the healthcare arena, in the legislature, which totally connects with what we were just talking about. Like why why the state hasn't made good on the promise of Act 48 and mm -hmm. instead went with this thing called One Care Vermont that's an accountable care organization that guess what is owned by UVM Medical Center. There's no accountability. Oh, either One Care Vermont is owned by One Care Vermont. It's an accountable care organization and that's what when Shumlin bailed on public financing for Act 48 this they were ready to zoom in. One care already existed. It's like we'll take over healthcare in Vermont, and we'll put every we'll put people whether you want to or not. We'll make you a, a what they what do they call it? Some kind of a attributed life in mm -hmm. in one care, which is basically a form of managed care. It provides no actual care. It's a pass through. It has to do with changing the way doctors are paid. That's could be a topic for another whole oh, uh, yeah, radio show. Really payment reform versus healthcare reform, but that's right. what UVM, okay. UVM pushed that through because this was their baby and they own this thing. They're also now selling a Medicare Advantage plan in collaboration with MVP uh, uh, insurance company. I mean, they are, they are an They're industry. They're profiting. They are yeah. profiting from this. Exactly. And, you know, like it was either Sheila or Grace was saying, it doesn't, that's no reflection on the people that are actually providing the care. Right, right. It's about the corporation. The people right. providing the care are doing the best they can. The nurses right. and doctors and LNAs and, you know, techs. Mm -hmm. People, it's not about that. If you talk, to, if you talk to them, they're being oppressed just as much as we are in the public. Mm -hmm. They're not mm -hmm. happy with the system they're in either. And I just wanted to say about One Care, we have a nickname of our own for it. We call it No Care <laughs> because that's yep. what's happening. All this money from Medicare and Medicaid is being funneled into One Care, and people who actually need health care are being cut out of the mix, like these Medicaid cutoffs. Yeah. What happens is 
instead of spending the money on actual care and paying providers, we're paying executives at one care who are doing nothing in terms of health care for us. It's, it reminds, this all reminds me of someone once said that, you know, the, the wealthy or the ruling elite are gleaning from the bottom, you know, that they're exactly. just raking from the bottom and, and just siphoning up the profits. It's so disgusting. Um, but I really, yeah, oh, go ahead, Sheila. Oh, I just want to say they're building housing now. It's like back to the old factory, uh, owns the store and everything in the home. <laughs> Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on WVEWLP, Brattleboro 107.7 FM. And unfortunately, we are almost out of time. Um, there's about like 10 minutes left of the interview. Um, but yeah, do you do you have any thoughts, Patrice? You know, I was just thinking about the tremendous work that they're doing in... Um, and when when you think about one care and the way that money is passed through, it is it is maddening. And you're right; they're gleaning from the bottom. It's a, it's another way that, as Ellen said earlier, on the backs of the people. Yeah. And um, so I'm I'm struck by that. And um, and and the healthcare is a human right. That universal healthcare system. While we are still, again, not putting our money in the people it's it's still from listening to all three of them um ellen schwartz uh, sheila adams and grace benson mm-hmm. um have have made such a i think a powerful um connection mm-hmm. to the work and i you know and i i want to comment um i think it was grace that may have said something about the constitution right that that food clothing and shelter mm-hmm. should be written in the constitution that that everyone sh- it should be available to everyone right the basic needs and it makes me think about in venezuela that is written into the constitution and it was written into the constitution because the imf came and totally destroyed the country um and and people were going hungry and that you know propelled the people on the ground to demand that um that it be written in the constitution that it'd be a right for people to have food. Um, so yeah, I, I think that that's that's that an important right. piece, right? A piece of document um, that serves the people um, as yes. well as in action. Um, and I yes. also want to point out, you know, as she said, that especially you know we, right now with all the money going towards war, you know, there's a. I was just looking through my email, you know that. There's a bus going down to D.C., um, and I'm sure there are many buses going down to D.C. to to not support war, to not continue to fuel war, especially in Ukraine. Um, and and think of thinking of because that money goes not to any people, it goes to destroy a country, but also that money goes to the corporations mm-hmm. that make. So again, it's like this continued siphoning off. Um, yeah. Yeah. So much education is needed, needed, right, to get people to like to push back against all of this, um, just just to get our basic needs met. But yeah. there are some announcements, yeah. That yes, um, 
uh, Ellen and Sheila and Grace wanted us to let you know that they have some upcoming events. Um, and if you're more concerned about Medicaid cutoffs and you have health issue care issues, they are doing four um, upcoming meetings in the Brattleboro Library, the Brooks Library Meeting Room, March 8th and March 22nd, April 5th and April 19th. Again, that's March 8th, March 22nd, April 5th, and April 19th between 2 and 4 p.m. So if you have any questions about that, that's a great place to go. Um, they also would like you to do the online survey if, if you have time to do that. It's at www.workercenter.org. Um, it's under the tagline, Health Care is a Human Right. Again, it's an online survey that you can take um, about health care, www.workercenter.org. Um, there's also a, a forum uh, with that Medicaid is having in, on March 8th from 6.30 to 8 p.m. So they're going to do a short presentation on the history of Medicaid, how it works, um, and there's going to be some story sharing and a time for discussion. And you can register. You can email uh, info at workerscenter.org. That's info at workerscenter.org. And you, you'll need to register to get the Zoom link if you want to go to the forum. And that forum, the Medicaid forum, is March 8th, 6.30 to 8 p.m. Great. Well, thank you for tuning in um, to Indigo Radio on WBEWLP Brattleboro. And we'll, our, we'll keep coming up with shows. Um, to help us make connections with the world. And here we're going to go out with Tracy Chapman talking about a revolution. While they're standing in the will behind Crying at the doorsteps of those armies of salvation Wasting time in the unemployment lines Sitting around waiting for a promotion Don't you know they're talking about a revolution It sounds Poor people are gonna rise up and get their share. Poor people are gonna rise up and take what's theirs. Don't you know you better run, 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 Talking about a revolution. Yes, finally the tables are starting to turn. Talking about a revolution. Oh, oh, oh no. Talking about a revolution. Oh, oh, while they're standing in the well behind. Crying at the doorsteps of those armies of salvation. Wasting time in the unemployment lines. Sitting around, waiting for a don't you know they're talking about a revolution? It sounds like a whisper. And finally, the tables are starting to turn. We're talking about a revolution. Yes, finally, the tables are starting to turn. We're talking about a revolution. Oh, no. We're talking about a revolution.